Bitcoin, crypto bubbles, passive indexation. There's a lot of financial jargon out there. Old Mutual can help you make sense of it all and give you great advice to make the right decisions. If you've got a question or want to know how to get the most out of your money, call them on 0860 60 60 60 or speak to an old mutual financial advisor or your broker. Today's the day. Get great financial advice so you can do great things. Old Mutual is a licensed financial services provider. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield on 702, your number one news and talk station. The Money Show brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. Welcome to The Money Show this evening. Uh, no listing on the JSE has created quite as much fuss as the listing, a proposed listing, planned listing for Friday of Sagamatha Technologies. We'll find out why in just a couple of minutes' time. But there's been an extraordinary outpouring of vitriol and rage and all sorts of things. We'll go to the source of the rage in just a few moments. South Africa Business Report, Diana Games, joining us later. Speaking of games, see how I did there? We'll do board games this evening at half past seven. Rich Mulholland, uh, who is well known as a public speaker, but he also runs his own business. And he's reshaped his business based on this concept of board games and what he's learned from playing board games competitively. He is an avid follower of board games. He, When a new game comes out, he gets hold of it. He gets his teams to play it. And he shaped his business and he helps other businesses shape themselves around board games. It is an interesting theory. You'll be joining us in studio at half past seven this evening. We'll talk about why mining stocks were the top top seven out of the top ten winners on the JSE today. And that's Sakamata story. It's a big one on the J on, on the Money Show this evening. Welcome to the Money Show. The Money Show on seven oh two. Your number one news and talk station. Your fast fact this evening on 31702 and 31567, who faces a trillion-dollar deficit by the year 2020? Trillion-dollar deficit by the year 2020, 31702, 31567. If you think you know the answer to today's fast fact, send us an SMS on 31702. Did I mention that? 31567. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield. Now, we don't tend to cover new listings on the JSE. Generally, they're pretty bland affairs. If they're household names or there's something unusual about them, we do talk about them and we do talk about new listings. But a listing scheduled for Friday is unusual. And the amount of vitriol and coverage it's getting, most of that in publications connected to to the listing. Uh, it's a very grand-sounding Saga Martha Technologies due for listing on the JSC on Friday. Now, the trade union SACTWU, these the textile workers' union, saying it's a game-changer for workers. FEDUSA saying it's great for South Africa and the youth, and it neatly fits into the ideals of the Yes campaign to create a million jobs in three years. The Black Business Council has publicly supported this listing. A visit to the Saga Martha website will tell you it's a company that does e-commerce, logistics, and media, and it's billed as Africa's first, you've got to listen to this, multi-sided platform unicorn. At this point, I get lost because I'm not sure what they're talking about. But hopefully, um, investigative reporter Sam Sol can uh, give us some insights this evening. They say it's going to be the first company to list on the South African Stock Exchange with a valuation of over $1 billion. They're anticipating a listing, a 12 billion rand listing on Friday. It's not without uh, controversy because last week, Amabungani ran a highly critical story of the listing. It was met from within independent media stable with abject derision of the extraordinary vitriolic response in the pages of Business Report. 
That's the business insert in the titles like Pretoria News, Star and Cape Times. We did invite Iqbal Survey, who is the uh, chairman of independent newspapers, of course, of the independent media group. His uh, family trust is a big shareholder in Sagamata. There was a moment when the FD of Sagamata was being considered and then declined an interview. We also approached the editor of Business Report, R.D. Senegal, the vet, has been very outspoken of the criticism of this listing, um, and she's declined for an, an interview this evening. But Sam Sol, investigative journalist at the Amabungani Centre for Investigative Journalist, uh, Journalism, I beg your pardon, on the line to us from Durban. Um, Sam, just take me through Sagamata, Nepalese name for Mount Everest. Just give me an idea about this company, please. Okay, there, there are three companies to keep in mind in, in this whole uh, affair. Uh, the one is uh, Independent Media, um, uh, which owns the uh, newspaper titles, uh, including Business Report, um, that, that you referred to. Um, the second one is a company called Sakanjalo Independent Media, um, which is majority owned by uh, Iqbal Survey's uh, fa- Family Trust. Um, and uh, Sakanjalo Independent Media had... Uh, or has uh, 55% um, a shareholding in, in uh, independent media. Um, and then there's Sagamata, um, which contains the African News Agency. It contains Loot SA, which is an online shopping thing. Uh, it contains some um, uh, assets that were transferred or bought uh, from uh, independent media, including independent online. online. Um, and uh, what this whole transaction proposes uh, is for uh, is, is to raise between three million, uh, <coughs> sorry, three three billion, and and seven point five billion rands from this private placement. Um, uh, that money will be used uh, to uh, buy a hundred percent of Second Jolly Independent Media. Um, um, and and thereby uh, take over the 55% control uh, of of, uh, of of independent media. Uh, the uh, Sagamata is also controlled by and 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 to a very great extent owned by uh, Iqbal Survey's uh, fam- family family trust. And uh, following the private placement, uh, the, the the trust will have depending on how much they raise between. Uh, uh, 60 and 65 percent of the consolidated consolidated group. Okay, I mean this this sounds all about board, and it, it it sounds like an interesting restructuring of Iqbal Survey's family interests. What's wrong with it? Okay, the uh, the, the key thing is uh, uh, where they are going for for, uh, for people to to uh, buy the shares and and the way in which they are valuing the company. Uh, the pre-listing statement, um, and you know, I, uh, I've been accused of, uh, you know, n- not being a financial journalist and <laughs> not doing an investigation. The, the piece that we we wrote was uh, a comment and analysis piece, and it was based simply on public information, um, uh, which was which, which which is why we we didn't go to uh, to Iqbal Survey or any of his minions for. For comment, because uh, it restricted, it wasn't an investigative piece. It restricted itself to, to an analysis, essentially of the of the pre-listing statement, um, and and what that disclosed. 
And what the pre-listing statement discloses is that um, Second Jala Independent Media, SIN, um, is, is in, in, in pretty dire straits. Um, it's uh, technically insolvent. Um, it discloses that the current Sagamata um, uh, also uh, is, is uh, um, you know, has, has a debt and, uh, um, you know, is, is not, not very... Uh, not, a, not, not a, a very successful company at this stage, um, and that the the com- combination of the two, if 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 um, if everything is put together as is planned, uh, prior to the um, the private placement, the net asset value of that combination would be um, sort of minus uh, about thirty to thirty cents per sh- per share, um, and uh, even with the injection of three billion, uh, it would be um, uh, net, the net asset value would be positive, uh, only around I think between two hundred fifty two and two hundred seventy. Memory serves me. I mean, uh, when, when, when and, and they, the, if I could just finally sure. finish the point for this two hundred seventy per share, they want to to uh, investors to pay uh, just under 40, 40 rand, and that forty rand valuation is based on the projection, on the hope, on the, the, the trust that this uh, unicorn is going to become the African Amazon. And, and uh, we're just raising questions about that, particularly because it seems that um, the most likely white knight to arrive on the scene to, to make that sort of investment, given those sort of conditions, would be the Public Investment Corporation. And, and this is the key contention here because the Public Investment Corporation at the time that Iqbal Survey bought out independent media was public money was used to to fund that purchase. Your argument here is that independent media is in so much financial trouble that this is a mechanism to get additional money from public sector workers, effectively from their pensions, to keep funding this uh, th- this business. Uh, absolutely. Uh, the, what the pre-listing statement discloses is that there are very significant uh, loan amounts that um, need to be repaid uh, in August, according to the, the pre-listing statement. Um, uh, more than 800 million rand to the Chinese consortium, um, as, as well as to, to the Government Employees Pension Fund. Um, there's also a significant loan that was extended by uh, Saktu, who's been who's come out in favour uh, of this, uh, to uh, to Second Jalo, I think in the region of 275 million, uh, which is also I think due for for repayment. And and one of the issues of concern is is that both the, the, the listing statement discloses that both Saktu and and PIC or, or the, the pension fund have subordinated agreed to subordinate their loans. So if this if, which means that if, if, if this doesn't work and the, the company goes sim goes belly up, uh, pick and 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 the workers will will be uh, you know at the back of the queue in terms of getting their, their investment. Uh, we, we pay. Now, I mean, you, you have been criticised. You pointed to that, that you didn't ask for comment and that you didn't go, you didn't follow traditional journalistic principles and the editor of Business Report, who's been very supportive of her boss over a long period of time and has written some very positive and quite glowing reviews of her boss, Iqbal Survey, over a long period of time. Very critical of the, the mechanism and the way in which you've done it. But what I've not seen is any detailed financial 
uh, repudiation of of the of the conclusions that you've drawn from that pre-listing statement. So many I've spoken to a couple of people um, who have looked at that pre-listing statement and have said that they're not going to be taking up shares. They're not going to be exercising the opportunity mm-hmm. that many um, pre-listing statements do provide them when they place the shares tomorrow. Um, it strikes me that uh, this is going to be quite a difficult placing. Uh, absolutely. I mean, in fact, uh, it, it's quite an odd placing, um, and and it's. It, it reminds one, um, perhaps unfortunately, um, of the Oak Bay listing, um, in the sense that was also, you know, touted as a, you know, uh, backed by a private placement, um, and and when it listed, uh, really very few shares traded because I think the market recognised that the uh, level at, at at which it was listed was completely unre- unrealistic in, re- in relation to the underlying assets. So it sat there, nobody, uh, no, no, nobody really bought or, or, or sold the, sh- the shares. Mm. In, in, in this case as well, um, uh, only the existing shares, in, and including those that have been put out for private placement, are going to be listed. Um, so, uh, you know, there won't be new shares uh, put on the uh, on, on the market for people to to buy. You'll have to buy from existing shareholders, which is either mainly uh, the, uh, the the survey family trust or whoever he manages to persuade uh, to 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 entertain the the, the pre-listing offer. Final point here, Sam. I mean, one of the contentions is um, that the, the critics of this particular deal are just jealous competitor media companies who um, are just envious of of, of, this, of this particular listing, who clearly don't understand um, the genius of this restructuring, who simply are, are out to get Iqbal Survey and independent media. Your response to that? No, look, I mean, I, I, you know, we... I. Uh I used to work for independent media. Um, it, it, it's uh, institutionally, it's it's close to my heart. Um, I, I was uh, very unhappy with the way the the Irish treated the company, um, and I'm also very unhappy with uh, with what's happened to the company since you know it passed from the Irish uh, to to, to sec, second second Jalo. Um, you know, this is an important institution uh, for the country, um, a, a media group. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm worried about the way in which it's been—it seems to have been mismanaged. If one looks, if one looks at the, at the figures, um, and I'm, I'm worried about uh, the way in which uh, public funds from the Public Investment Corporation, you know, may be being abused uh, to, 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 to pop it up, uh, perhaps for uh, political reasons. That's what it looks like. The pick, I must say, have not confirmed or denied. Uh, whether they are, are going to take up the private place, place placement, perhaps they won't. Um, but the fact that they, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't say one way or another, um, does raise concerns. Sam, so we must leave it there. Thank you, yeah, senior investigative journalist at the Amabungani Centre for Investigative Journalist that uh, journalism. That story covered uh, carried on Daily Maverick. Daily Maverick has issued another broadside, of course, um, and uh, in the form of Ivo Wachter, and it's a entertaining reading, and it's not going to go down very well at Independent at all. But Business Report, part of Iqbal Survey's debt-ridden, insolvent, and terrifically misnamed Independent Media, I'm quoting here, has made for hilarious reading uh, lately. Its toady in chief has been spouting gibberish.
Operation Defensive, dubious listing of Sagamata Technologies Survey's grand scheme to keep his business afloat. That is the view that is being put forward by the Daily Maverick today. They are um, being insistent on that particular editorial line. It'll be interesting to see whether how many of those shares are taken up in the private placement tomorrow and whether the listing achieves its lofty goal of a 40 rand a share share price when it does come to market on Friday. The Money Show. The Markets. Norman McKechnie is our market commentator this evening. He's a portfolio manager at Momentum Asset Management. Have you put your orders in for Sagamata Technologies, Norman McKechnie? No, Bruce. <laughs> Why not? Look, I think if you look at it, I, uh, one, I think if you look at the publishing side of things, the old independent newspapers, uh, that is a, a business that is in decline. You can see that in the sort of globally what's happening there. Uh, and uh, in terms of profits, et cetera, um, you know, if you look back sort of 20 years ago, uh, two-thirds of the profits came from advertising. When you pick up a paper today, there's no class ads yeah. in the paper. So uh, in terms of the, uh, you know, the money that they made in the margin, that's been under pressure. That's one. Two, the circulation has dropped uh, fairly substantially. You can get most of what you want online. Uh, and then I think if I look at it, I think in terms of the uh, the own online classified or shopping business, you need economies of scale here. Even the big guys like Nuspers, Tencent, et cetera, OLX, uh, um, if you look at those sort of businesses, uh, yeah, they are very much in the cash uh, uh, burning stage uh, and hoping at some point in time to make money. I just don't think you've got the economies of scale in Sagamatha to yeah. do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know when last anybody went to loot um, to, to buy something. I certainly don't recall if I've ever been. But, yeah, that's uh, that's the point being made. But thank you for making it, Norman McKechnie. I see the Chinese President Xi Jinping is warning against this Cold War mentality um, with, with Donald Trump threatening trade wars and all sorts of things. And Xi Jinping uh, promising to open up parts of that country's economy. And I suppose it was that and also some commentary from Guede Mantashe today, the Mineral Resources Minister, um, that he's not going to challenge the um, once empowered, always empowered um, ruling that was held up by the High Court last week. That was very good for resources here. I think it was, Bruce. I think uh, firstly, the the comments coming out of China, uh, that certainly eased things up. And, uh, you know, in terms of the talk we've had around trade war, uh, between both the US uh, and China has been very negative for investor sentiment. So clearly that eased there and we saw the Dow uh, opening up firmer. We certainly saw the futures uh, up uh, earlier in the day. Uh, so that helped. We had commodity prices perhaps on a slightly softer dollar picking up as well. And then I think the fact that we're not going to get a challenge in the courts, uh, as Greta Montashi uh, uh, indicated, uh, pushed up uh, the Anglos and the bulletins, etc. And I think there was a bit of short covering there which meant people who have sold uh, share, borrowed shares and sold them out because they felt uh, both Anglos and Billiton are fully priced, uh, they actually had to buy those positions back. And that, I think, uh, helped uh, the, those uh, miners, uh, mining stocks to move up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we certainly did see those mining stocks. Seven out of top ten movers on the JSC today were mining shares led by Asor and Kumba Iron Ore, both of those performing really nicely. Uh, Asor today, in the last two weeks, the S&P 500 has had eight one percent moves within a range of just five percent. I mean, huge volatility within a tight range, and apparently that's never happened before. Does are you seeing a lot more volatility on stock markets right now? The huge uncertainty that's been created uh, by the discussions around trade wars and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think Bruce, we are. I think if you look at the VIX index, which is a volatility index uh, in the US, that's moved up, and it's uh, you know it, it was trading for a, a, a lengthy period of time. I think we had a discussion previously, sometime last year to the number of days that the 
uh, volatility index in the U.S. had sort of traded below 10, and that was uh, probably a lot higher than any previous year. And I think what we've yeah. seen this year, uh, what with trade talks um, uh, and uh, you know the, the volatility that that's uh, created, uh, we've seen that VIX index move up and uh, probably float around the sort of 20% level, moving up probably as high as about 25 when it was down at 10. So moving up fairly sharply. And when that does happen, uh, that really is indicative of, that of investor concerns. Uh, and we've seen the market volatile uh, as, a, as a consequence. Uh, yeah, that volatility coming through, and it's nice for investors, of course, with volatility. The JSE has had a strong recovery over the last couple of days after a negative week last week. And it's just that this idea that you can't be out of the market for too long. Otherwise, you you run the risk of losing huge opportunities. I think that's right, Bruce. I think there are a number of sectors that have actually run quite hard. I think the industrial sector has run very hard. I mean, if you look at where ratings are uh, and also the sort of projected earnings this year and next year, uh, certainly the ratings, in other words, the P-E ratio that we'd look at, which is really the price relative to the earnings, are expensive relative to the sort of uh, sub-15% growth that we're getting. And the bulk of that growth probably comes from two or three stocks. So if you, yeah. And while NASPERS is expensive and you probably need to extract that out uh, and then look at the index, uh, the market is still fairly fully priced, I think, in that. It doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities. I think if you look at uh, the RAND, the RAND looks like... Uh, uh, we could see uh, we we might the best might be behind us in terms of what we've seen there. So maybe some of the things to look at are some of the rand hedge stocks, uh, which uh, have underperformed uh, of late. Thank you, Norman McKechnie. Norman McKechnie is with Momentum Asset Management. The Money Show is brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. Good evening. Welcome to The Money Show. I'm Bruce Whitfield. It is 23 minutes to 7. In the next couple of minutes, I'm giving away return business class ticket to the United States, to the GroCo conference, to one of the uh, contestants, one of the participants in the Nedbank Business Accelerator in Cape Town. Pablo Fatidis is warming up the crowd in a room close to our Cape Town studios. I'm going to be making my way over there um, during the sports broadcast. And then Pablo and I will talk about business accelerators, what he has learned, the great businesses the great business leaders that he's met, great future employee employers in the South African economy. And then we're going to draw a name out of a hat for the Cape Town participant who um, will go with Pablo to this GroCo conference in New Orleans. Then tomorrow this time, I'll make my way out of the 702 studio and across to the entertainment area at 702, where we'll draw another name of the 702 participant who will get that return ticket. It's a fantastic once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It really is. It turns out I'm in trouble with Ardley Senegal Devet, the business report editor, who sent, uh, who sent a very angry brief WhatsApp to my producer, Tikiso. Uh, she says, I didn't decline. This is, okay, some context. We had Sam Sol, um, editor, the investigative reporter at Amabungane, um, who uh, gave us his uh, concerns around uh, the listing, the proposed listing of a, a new uh, t- company called Sagamatha Technologies. And he says there's some big gaps in the balance sheet. There's some concerns of the debt. There's some concerns of the motivation for this particular listing. Um, Norman McKechnie at uh, Momentum saying they're not going to be taking up any shares in it simply because the companies that are in, going to be in the Sagamata uh, are past their best, perhaps. And I'm summarizing there. I said that RGC 
cynical Devet, the editor of Business Reporter, declined our interview uh, invitation for this evening. She did. She didn't. Say, she said, I'm not available this evening. That's a decline. She did say she was available next week. If there is still a story to tell next week, we most certainly we happily uh, entertain her on the Money Show next week. On your next Money Show, I'm bringing one of the founders of the craft cider brand Scully to studio. His name is Karol Ostasevsky. And also Andy Golding from Strive, an employee experience design consultancy, is our guest in our business unusual feature. She's talking innovation. I'm looking forward to that next time on The Money Show. The Money Show on your number one news and talk station. This is The Money Show. I'm Bruce Whitfield and I'm in the entertainment area at Cape Talk in Cape Town where we are doing the Nedbank Business Accelerator and there are 20 participants, some on the telephone because they couldn't all be here tonight because they're running businesses and we've got quite a tense crowd. Pavlo Fatidis is here but before we do that, Pavlo, I've got to give away the answer to the fast fact and I'm hoping that you can help out. Yeah. Okay, so Pablo Fatiz, you got your microphone on? No, you don't. Okay, just checking because you were wearing a headset a little earlier, but that's fine. Um, who faces a trillion dollar deficit by the year 2020? Who faces a trillion dollar? Could it be Donald Trump? We know that your eyes work and we know that you can read because I held up the piece of paper directly in front of him. Now you can hear our studio audience. We went very quiet. They were being very boisterous. They've been here since about 5 o'clock this afternoon. They've had some wine and had some delicious snacks uh, in our entertainment area. Um, yes, according to the Congressional Budget Office, the U.S. will be running an annual $1 trillion deficit by the year 2020, all because of Donald Trump's populist policies. Uh, higher public spending combined with tax cuts giving the U.S. economy a temporary boost, but the Budget Office is warning... It could all end in tears, a bit like the Great Depression or even the financial crisis of 2008. Let's do Nedbank Business Accelerator. You've had 20 participants in the Cape Town leg. How has it been for you? Well, it's been a really good year this year in Cape Town. A lot of the businesses we spoke about all have a digital angle to it. And in fact, we were speaking earlier, Bruce, saying that if we as South African businesses don't adopt technology a debate that you and I frequently have. Mm -hmm. If we don't adopt technology, we're going to find ourselves colonized by those countries that have adopted technology supplying services to us over here. A lot of these businesses over here would fit beautifully into this particular prize because on our trip to the States, I think all but not... In fact, every single one of them has an export opportunity, so it's a great opportunity to get beyond the border, stretch across the Atlantic, and find opportunities for yourselves. Now, this is a bit like saying who's your favorite kid, but which is your favorite business? Well, the 20 that I selected were my favorite business. He's like a very proud father. Uh, but give me a sense, okay, so the commonality that runs through all of these companies is that they've got a digital element to them. All of them could be South African exporters. Are any of these going to fit into the Yes campaign? Sora Ramaphosa in the State of the Nation Address announced the Youth Employment Service. Are these employers of the future? Many of them are, Bruce, simply because of the stage that they're at in terms of their business growth. The legs on these businesses are huge and tremendous. If the economy is to pick up 5%, 5%, these businesses have a three, 400% growth opportunity behind them. And when you look at that compared to very big business, if the economy picks up 5%, big business might be lucky to achieve that 30% growth rate. So this is where the jobs are created. This is where the innovation is driven purely because of the competition that every single one of these entrepreneurs face over here.
So what we're going to do this evening, because all of these are fabulous businesses, these are businesses that you've helped and you said we can help you scale the business that you're running at the moment and all of them are scalable businesses. But we've got just three business class return tickets to the United States to go to the GroCo conference in New Orleans. One of those tickets will be drawn at 7.02 tomorrow. Another one of those tickets goes to you, because so you need to be the chaperone. Um, and one of those tickets goes to one of the people, either in this room or on the phone lines this evening, because not everybody could be here. Before we do that... Um, <laughs> because they all look very nervous and on their best behaviour. Pick me! Send me. Hashtag send me. Um, we are at Cape Talk this evening. We are doing the NetBank Business Accelerator from Cape Talk. Pablo Fatidis has spent the last couple of weeks talking to 20 business owners, people who have grown businesses. And in the tough environment in South Africa in which businesses can get grown, you're all superheroes. And you're all people who are, have won huge respect on Cape Talk over the last couple of weeks. But unfortunately, we have only one ticket to give to one of you to go to the GroCo conference. Tell me about the GroCo conference and why it is that one of these people's lives is about to change forever this evening. Well, it's a three-day seminar, so it's a seminar. And in that seminar, we have speakers, we have breakaways, we have networking opportunities. Whoever wins that ticket needs to get onto the website tonight and start begin preparing because the list of attendees will be there, the list of speakers will be there. And the way that you get ready for a conference like this is you need to select what you're going to attend up front, but more importantly, you need to define who you want to meet up front and book those meetings now so you can do the business when you get there. Now, I'm assuming you know all of the people who are involved in these businesses and you know all of these companies. I'm going to mention a couple of the number, companies. There's Aquagar Technologies. There's Honeybee CRM. I'm just picking a, ram, a random over here. La Cucina Restaurant and Delhi. Uh, we've got Angel Soft Shoes. We've got uh, the Zenzele Fitness Group. We've got Vision Elevators and Silolo Uluto Technologies and many other wonderful and glorious companies here this evening. Should we draw the winner? Or should we carry on talking for another 10 minutes and really make them sweat? But we enjoy talking and there's a lot to talk about. So what we got up for grabs is return business class air tickets, accommodation at the Marriott, because that's what Americans call the Marriott, um, the Marriott New Orleans, conference passes, a Nedbank travel card with $1,000 US loaded onto it for you, whoever it is. Not, well, not necessarily you, you understand. It could be you or you or you. Um, to spend as you wish while you are in New Orleans. All expenses paid, trip to the GroCo conference, courtesy of American Express, the essential conference for company builders. Do we have a lovely assistant? Do we have a box with names in it? We have, ooh, there is a box with names in it. Do we have an auditor? We have an auditor. His name is Skuman. Now, you said each, each one of these businesses has legs. Skuman has legs that are about five foot long. Um, he's a very tall man, Skuman. This isn't going to be like, yeah, Skuman, don't look. Hey, you're the auditor, look. He's looking into the box. Okay, now he's counting, making sure that all of the entries are there, Skuman. So there, there should be, what, 20, 20 names in there, Skuman? 20 names. 20 names. Skuman is from Deloitte. He's not from PwC. They, did, they made the mess up with the Oscars, remember that. So this is not going to happen here. All right. So now in there, now who's going to draw the name? Are you going to draw the name, Skuman? I'm not drawing the name. You're not going to draw the name. Who's going to draw the name? I'm going to draw the name. So it becomes my fault. Oh, this is nice. This is the best hospital pass in history. Do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. Are, are you okay with this, Paula? I'm absolutely fine with it. Should I take this one? Uh, 
Okay. Fill them up a little bit and then select. So this this name, this person over here. I'm going to bend it over so we know who would have got it, until you said no. Okay. <laughs> and, and I'm going to rattle around just a little bit, and I've got a name in here. Is this the is this the piece of paper? Did I look? You didn't look. I didn't confirm. It's independently chosen. Okay, independently chosen. This is the name. Who should we get to read out the name? I can't do it. Have a look. Don't, don't say it yet. Are you happy with this winner? Because we can put it back. It's, <laughs> it's a blank name. No, it's not. Open it up. Before. Okay. Mm, nah, put it back. Mm. Now, what... Okay, without giving it away, let's be creative and tell me why this company is special. So this company was started in probably some of the most arduous circumstances as an entrepreneur. In South Africa in the last 10 years. In South Africa as an entrepreneur, he started this business. He does 90% of his business abroad because he's struggling to get certification in the South African environment. It's a man who has built the technology, the product from the ground up. It's a family business, so it has long legs for a second-generation go at it. And it is slowly encroaching on two massive European established businesses and eating up their share of market from the bottom up. Now, he knows who he is, and a couple of people have been pointing, saying, oh, it's him, it's him, it's him. So sorry to the ladies in the room, you know it's not you. Um, This person's company is called... So can I give it away? After this commercial... Yes, of course you can. This person is on radio at the moment, over the phone. Uh-huh. I'm hoping. The business is Fox Solution Systems Engineering. Fox Solution Systems Engineering. And we don't have him. We don't have Fox Solution. So tell me about Fox Solution Systems Engineering. What about, I'm so sorry to everybody who did come here this evening. You've had a wonderful evening. You've had a wonderful party this evening. Uh, Fox Solution Systems Engineering. Um, and it, it is a business that does exactly what? They manufacture oxygen in the industrial space and for medical services. They manufacture oxygen. <laughs> they do that. Well, they've got a very clever technique of manufacturing oxygen. And oxygen is important because in medical instances, it gives you life. And in the industrial space... It gives you fire. So he manufactures oxygen systems, which are supplied into the industrial space, into the medical space, and he runs those systems right up into Africa and into Europe. The winner is Carrie Motherwell, who created Fox Solution uh, to take advantage of the fact that oxygen is vital to life. I mean, it is disappointing for everybody else who is in the room. They're not going to the United States. And it is a pity, and I'm really sorry that we couldn't send each and every single one of you, because each and every single one of you would have benefited enormously. And I'm not rubbing it in. I'm just simply saying, uh, courtesy of the generosity of American Express and NetBank, who have made it possible for Kerry, who couldn't even be bothered to pitch... Auditor, Skuman, can we just disqualify him because he didn't bother to pitch? 
No, we can't. Not according to the T's and C's, because T's and C's, unfortunately, as with all of these things, do apply. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations to each one of you for making it through the rounds, for being selected, for participating in NetBank Business Accelerator. What is your forecast, Pablo Fatidis, as you look around this room of entrepreneurs, disappointed briefly, but at least they're going to have more time to spend on their businesses in the next couple of weeks. They won't have to go on that trip all the way to America, spend days at a conference, and then get on a business class flight into that comfy seat and come all the way back. It's time-consuming. It is time-consuming, but and I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry to the 19 businesses that remain that this opportunity wasn't made available to you right now. But there's good news, because I will undertake, and I make a promise on this, we will capture the content, we will capture the insight. I'm familiar with all your businesses, so I will find opportunities for your businesses over there to the best of my ability, and I will bring them back home for you. Secondly, we will be broadcasting directly from the show. So you'll be sent an email as to how you can follow the progress of the show, what's taking place, and if there are any special insights that I think would benefit any of you over here, I'll promise to send them through to you. Pablo Fatidis, ladies and gentlemen, who has held your hand throughout this process, and I'm so sorry that you here this evening didn't manage to, to get onto that trip. But can we do this in Johannesburg tomorrow? Because I've got a, a feeling that we should give away another a business class return ticket tomorrow to the participants on 702 of Business Accelerator. Well, there was some discussion around it over here as to why the two tickets couldn't go to Cape Talk. And, and he was kept on talking about T's and C's, Bruce. So. It's Skuman's fault, everybody. Otherwise, we would have be happily given you the additional tickets. given away two tickets over here. But absolutely, yes. I shall see you in the studios at 7.02 tomorrow night at the same time. There we go. Pablo Fatidis, ladies and gentlemen. Congratulations to everybody who's participated in the NetBank Business Accelerator in Cape Town. You guys have been superstars. I wish we could have sent you all to the United States. But on the upside, you've all got more time to spend now on growing your businesses, growing jobs, and helping grow the economy. And that's got to be a good thing. Uh, I'm going back to the studio now. 702 The Money Show. Call Bruce on 011 what a lovely spirit it was in the room as we gave away that uh, exclusive business class return ticket to this fantastic Groco conference in the United States. It's happening in May, and so just in about five or six weeks' time. And the, the 19 disappointed people in the room, but they had a very, very spirited bunch, um, very supportive of uh, tonight's winner, which is uh, a wonderful thing to see. It really is. Nedbank Business Accelerator with Cape Talk this evening. We're doing the Nedbank Business Accelerator with 702 tomorrow, where we will give away another opportunity to somebody to go to the United States um, on that uh, trip with Pablo and to learn to grow their businesses. And Pablo's commitment this evening to all of the participants in um, the, in this fabulous Nedbank Business Accelerator is for, he will look for opportunities for them. And he'll be true to his word. He really will. Lovely SMS to take us into Eyewitness News this evening. Uh, the person didn't sign it. I wish you put your name on your SMSs. But um, uh, I flew back from Lanceria Airport the other day. I fell on my way to the airport fracturing my ankle. I didn't know that I fractured it at the time. I requested a wheelchair at Cape Town International Airport and had one of the most caring experiences by strangers ever. Sadly, I was in shock and I didn't get the lady and the gentleman's names. I did not have the opportunity to thank them. They were so kind. They were chatting. They were looking after me. I was unable to walk and the gentleman assisted me all the way and I was helped into my son's vehicle. Thank you for the excellent service to them. It is not just a job.
Well done. What a lovely uh, SMS this evening. And uh, we'll forward that to make sure that the Cape Town International Airport uh, gets that at uh, at the airport. Um, coming up after Eyewitness News, we'll do our Heroes and Zeros feature. We've got our Africa Business Report. And then Rich Mulholland, the owner at Missing Link, the science of board games in business and why playing board games isn't just fun and games. That's all in the next hour here on The Money Show. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield on 702, your number one news and talk station. The Money Show brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. Welcome to The Money Show. Uh, We'll do heroes and zeros in just a moment. Diana Games joins us. She's chief executive of Africa at Work. It's a business consultancy um, helping companies uh, to grow their businesses across the African continent. And then Rich Mulholland, the owner of Missing Link, is also a business consultancy. uh, And he uses board games in the boardroom to help companies grow their businesses too so lots of that coming up on tonight's money show the money show with bruce whitfield is this a wonderful quote that has been posted on uh, twitter this evening by my colleague saskia falcon hickey uh, it's a quote attributed to chris harney assassinated on this day and it's extraordinary to think it was 25 years ago as i sat as a as a recently graduated journalism student uh, having done my first few shifts on 702 as a, an overnight news writer and reader and i sat in uh, my bedroom and my rented bedroom in a big house that uh, was owned by somebody else. It was a big shared house. And uh, this quote from Chris Harney saying, what we need in South Africa is for egos to be suppressed in favor of peace. We need to create a new breed of South Africans who love their country and love everybody, irrespective of their color. And there were many other wise quotes uh, of Chris Harney. His biggest fear, of course, that uh, what would happen is that the, the those uh, purveyors of freedom would become greedy and would be caught up in the capitalist system and would drive Mercedes Benzes and would forget where they came from. And that's, yeah, one of the great tragedies, of course, of part of what has happened in the miracle of the last 25 years in South Africa, but the assassination of Chris Harney 25 years ago today. 702 The Money Show. Bruce is on Twitter at Bruce Business. Sizakele Marutule is the chief executive and founder at Marutule and Company. She's in for us this evening on Heroes and Zeros. Not what I would think, Cesar, on a typical hero ad to me. I mean, you open up the newspaper and there's an open letter to the president, but that's your hero. What an interesting choice. Tell me why. Um, hi, Bruce. Um, hi, Bruce. Um, because... Firstly, I think let's start off with why you write a letter to the president. Hopefully he's reading the Sunday Times, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then secondly, because you actually just want to borrow from um, the sentiment that he espoused at at his first national address. And secondly, you also want to start a conversation across the nation about how each one of us can contribute and respond to to Mamina. Um, call, which is basically just send me. So I found this to be super interesting, largely because for the first time, I guess we're starting to hear business speak in a unified voice and um, organize against a single objective, which is to get South Africa out of the slump and get us back to a path of growth. And so this letter, which is an open letter, it's not a particularly creative design. From an advertising perspective, why does it light your jets? What does it do for you from a from a brand positioning perspective? He has business in South Africa standing together and saying, Mr. President, send me. 
here's what I like about it is that we now, for the first time, we have things that we can hold business against, right? So we're going to say to them, you said you're mm-hmm. going to help the president deal with the issues of education, jobs, land reform and water. Fantastic. What have you done? Let's start tracking it. I mean, if you think about millennial development goals, it's like 2018 now when we're still yeah. tracking the first one, right? So this for me is a wonderful setup. It just says, business, thank you for your interest. Thank you for spending money in the Sunday Times. Now, let's see you measure these things. Let's see you integrate the solutions and recommendations you've got. And let's see you scale these solutions. Because part of what's fascinating for me is this idea and obsession we have with youth employment. Because I don't think that's the challenge. I think the challenge is youth employability. Um, and therefore, Good so, point. Actually, so, you know, it's, an, it's, a, it's an important distinction. Sorry, let's just explore that for a second. It's not about creating jobs. It's creating opportunities for people to make themselves great yes. so that people want to employ them, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and also then, so then don't just start at the level where somebody has already graduated from high school and they've got 99% in life orientation, which is a skill nobody can use in business, right? So we, we very well may need to go back to... Um, um, primary education and just say what are the skills that we need to be instilling in young people so that when we do spew them out of the system they are indeed employable and ready Mm. to get to work. We're going away from advertising but it's an important principle and a discussion to have Mm. and it's business's commitment and it was a a commitment that was has its genesis at the the Davos gathering in 2016 it was just weeks after Tlantla Nene had been fired as finance minister and South Africa was on the very edge of crisis and um, Prime Gordon managed to get business on side and get the, lots of meetings and there were lots of discussions. And then when he got fired uh, as finance minister, Prime Gordon, yeah. um, in, Dece- in March last year, and it's just over a year ago, business lost faith in government. And government uh, w- w- was shown up very, very significantly. And uh, as Jabu Mabuza pointed, you know, business went into a big fat sulk. Mm. Uh, that sulk at least is over. And this open letter to the president exhibits precisely that. We stopped sulking now. Let's roll up our sleeves and get working. That is true. But also beyond just um, let's roll up our sleeves, we want, I'm hearing business say, we want to challenge those state policies that that are uh, disabling growth. So let's unlock all the, all the knots. Do you know what I mean? And just get to mm-hmm. a place where everything can start to work and everything can start to flow. I do think there's a caveat though, Bruce, which is this proposition to the president and this commitment to work to lift our country um, out of its state of just stillness has to work for everyone, not just politically connected elites or yeah. this thing I call briefcase billionaires. Like we really are looking for human beings, who many of whom are also women in business, right, who mm-hmm. can help drive and revive the growth that we so desperately need. That is this week's Hero Open Letter, published in the Sunday Times by Big Business, uh, making that commitment, very public commitment to the president to please let us help. Um, And let's see it. Now, the Zero is going to be a little bit more controversial, I suspect, (laughs) as these Zeros often are. Um, We're going to play you a short ad. Um, It's a very visual ad. So you need to visualize in your mind a a good-looking young couple, um, clearly very much in love, walking along. He goes down on one knee to tie his shoelace and she gets the idea that he's proposing marriage oh my word yes yes when you need a i'm suddenly engaged person alone just apply on your banking app online banking or visit us we'll help you get the right credit 
So let us find out why that is Sisakele Marutrule's zero. I mean, are you not a romantic soul, And Not in the stereotypical <laughs> sense. Like, I can't imagine that there are bright young women who are walking around waiting to be proposed to in a shopping mall, by the way, by a guy who looks like he is in no position to be propositioning anything of the sort because all he's just doing basically is just tying his shoelace but here's why this thing is problematic for me remember that fnb is the brand that for the longest time was winning all these innovation awards and they were doing really substantive things to disrupt the banking sector and i feel that they really have hit a, a soft spot with this one because it honestly doesn't reflect the magic um, and the power and the imagination that we've grown accustomed to from from F&B. It just feels like a very safe ad. And it's one of a, a bank of ads. But I just can't imagine that there's a, a bank that's been so hot for the longest time to land on a, on a yeah, yeah, and the, it just plays on every stereotype ever. I mean, you know, young women are desperate for it to be proposed to. Yeah. Young women dare not ask her to, to, to marry. Clearly, this young woman is very keen to marry this guy. Yeah. Um, and, and so she should just say to him, let's get married. I mean, there's no reason for him to go down on one knee and certainly not in a public place, not in an ugly public place like a shopping mall. Yeah. Um, so it's every stereotype that is wrong about sort of, I don't know, the, the dynamics between the sexes um, that, 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 is, that one can criticise. Yeah. But also for a country such as ours where we've got such low savings rates, right, and we are all about trying to defer um, uh, conspicuous consumption. Here's here's a bank that says you actually can get a loan for everything, including unplanned for engagement parties. (laughs) is their business. I mean, their business is to lend money. Their business is to provide that credit for people if and when they need it. Um, I, I, don't, I'm, yeah, I don't have an issue there in as much as it, it, you know, it's lighthearted, it's fun. I can see how people might be amused by it. But from an advertising purist's perspective, it's cheap, it's nasty and beneath them. Of course it is. So here's, 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 here's another reason why I felt that it failed for me. One was... I don't know that it is. Of course, the the bank says, "How can we help you?" So perhaps on a on a positioning platform, they think we can help you get through uh, an engagement you haven't planned for. But in terms of distinctiveness, it just doesn't add to the things mm-hmm. that make F and B a magical brand. But also on the third leg, which is on human centricity, yeah, you you can you can say that they're trying to reflect what goes on in culture, but nothing about that ad is solving a real problem. You've just manufactured an opportunity to insert your brand into and that for me is just fake and lazy. So that's why a strong view this evening, FNB's personal loans ad, the suddenly engaged personal lo- loans ad, a big fat no, thank you very much, Sizakele Marutlule, who is chief executive and founder at Marutlule and Company. Thank you for being our heroes and zeros this evening. The Money Show. The Africa Business Report. Well, one big story that's going to impact uh, many companies across the African continent is a comment from uh, the Mineral Resources Minister, Gweta Mantashe, today. So he talks on the new mining charter about 80% complete, thank goodness. And a new document guiding transformation of the mining sector will be ready and will be gazetted in May. And it'll give greater confidence to the South African mining sector and the industry and investors in this industry. And of course, for anybody who works in that industry too. Um, he says the Department of Mineral Resources will not appeal a high court ruling last week 
had found in favour of the Chamber of Mines, the Chamber applied for a declaratory order on the um, on the on the once empowered, always empowered rule. And this was a big sticking point under previous mineral resources ministers. Uh, the, the court has now said, once you're empowered, you're always empowered. And Matasha, who's been involved in the mining industry for th- more than three decades, he's um, saying that he's got no tolerance for empowerment partners who speculate um, on their shares in mining companies and sell out quickly to make an easy profit. But he also is saying that uh, mining companies must treat their partners correctly and there must be dignity and the the relationships must be strong. Um, It's great to have a mineral resources minister who is interested in mineral resources, quite frankly. Uh, Diana Gaines joins us. She is chief executive of Africa at Work on the line to us from Johannesburg this evening. And we've got China, we've got the West excluding America, but they're always a bit slow to come to the party, beginning to court Zimbabwe in a very serious way, Diana. Well, I think there's many people uh, beating a path to Harare at the moment. Um, we have, uh, it, I think that just in the last week alone, the EU Commissioner for International Cooperation um, has been visiting Zimbabwe. Uh, this week also there have been a couple of U.S. senators um, and there, there's a German diplomat, senior diplomat on his way. As we know, the British were the first knocking the, knocking on the door. Um, they barely waited for the, the inauguration to be over before they were in state house. And then, of course, uh, we have um, uh, the uh, President Mnangagwa um, heading off to China. You know, remember, China was also one of the first uh, people to, to, you know, to, to interact with the new president after he took over. And, uh, but I think uh, Zimbabwe was actually looking for some liquidity, some, some relief um, in some kind of package from China, which they didn't get. But I think it was nevertheless a, a very positive visit on many levels. So, yes, everybody is, I think just before the election, people are, are, are hedging their bets. Let's see who the president is. Let's get in in case he gets in. And, uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I don't think any big promises are being made, though, at this stage. Now, and it's quite interesting how the United States sort of sits on the sidelines in these things. One of my favorite Clem Sunter quotes of all time was when he went to go and talk to the Chinese Politburo, and he said to them, you know, why is it that you are so attracted to investing in the African continent? And this is more than a decade ago. And their comment to him was, well, we don't bump into Americans there. Um, and um, <laughs> although various administrations have uh, paid lip service to, and in some in more serious ways than others, um, this particular American administration has very, very little interest on this continent. Well, I think what, what it seems what the uh, this, this delegation is doing in town is they are looking at the whole issue of, of sanctions. They have just renewed sanctions against Zimbabwe, those that were left over from the Mugabe era. Um, and they are now talking not just to the president. I think a lot of these um, I'm not sure about from the China's point of view, but certainly from the West point of view, they're talking to the MDC uh, civil society and other players and trying to get some idea of how how this is going and whether they should be looking at maybe redoing the sanctions post-election if all goes well. So I think that is, is part of it. I think there's also a lot of pressure from some of these people. I'm not suggesting um, uh, China or, or necessarily Russia, who also had someone senior there recently, are trying to do this, but really to push um, Munangagwa to have a, a free and fair election. It's the first chance Zimbabwe's had in a very long time to have a, um, a, a sort of a, an election that's not clouded by rigging and, and violence, etc. So I think that's part of the reason for the timing as well. I think it's sort of a double, a double um, uh, sort of reasons they're coming.
Uh, early indications in terms of that election, it should be, what, three months away now. Um, early indications on the sense of freeness, on the sense of fairness in the Zimbabwe elections. People are going to be very, very cynical about that, but um, hopefully observers will be allowed in and will be able to, to give testimony to this. Well, they've invited uh, 46 um, countries to observe and, uh, and regional bodies and so on. And some of these countries have not observed in Zimbabwe for quite some time, people who've fallen foul of the Mugabe regime. So I think that is a, a good sign. I don't think enough reforms have taken place, but uh, the MDC has now started campaigning and other, uh, other groups. And so far, so good. Uh, I think the real test will be if it seems like ZANU-PF is winning. And, of course, you know, the, uh, is losing, sorry. And the other worry, of course, is that if ZANU-PF does lose, this is a, not a party that knows how to lose. So I think we're seeing sort of signs of this here. You know, what, what, yeah. you know what happens? You know, would would another party actually be allowed to rule? That's not just about the election. It's, it's really about the results as well and, and how how that sort of plays out. Let's move to Nigeria. The president, Muhammadu Buhari, has had a, uh, how does one say this politely, he's not had a, a very busy first term as president. Much of it has been spent out of the country um, uh, trying to, to get well. He's been very, very ill in his first term, but confirming he will stand for a second term as president of Nigeria. Well, you know, that is so disappointing in many ways. Um, I'm not now I'm not talking about political parties, but really, you know, he is old. He has uh, been very ill. He's not really delivered a lot. Uh, he was very sort of quiet in the first year. The economy was really sliding into all kinds of trouble, and he really did very little about it. He seemed just like a rabbit in the headlights, and it's only really in the last year maybe two years possibly, that, that things have started happening. Um, although, to be fair, he has had to guide Nigeria um, and his team through, through a recession and, uh, and, and all sorts of forex crises, etc. And now he has a new economic plan in place. But this is a year, it's really been put in place a year before um, he's due to stand down. And obviously it seems that it was done with an eye on a second term. Although he did promise when he was first elected, he was definitely a one-term president. Um, so people have made promises like that in Nigeria before. Uh, president Jonathan before him was one of them. Um, but it seems he's not sticking to that. And he says Nigerians really want him back. I mean, we've heard all those stories before. Uh, there might be many Nigerians who do, some of whom have a, a real interest in him coming back because of their own uh, uh, pockets and, and, and political ambitions. But uh, a lot of people do seem to like him. The APC is still a force to be reckoned with, which is his party, the former opposition. Yeah, well, we watch uh, we watch Nigeria very closely, and then Tanzania. Um, we, I, just, I just mentioned some comments made by Gwera Mantashe today, and I made the comment that it's so nice to have a mineral resources minister who seems to have the best interests of the mineral resources industry for the benefit of everybody in it, whether it be investors, whether it be mine owners, whether it be management and the workers, of course, within mining companies. And he has the, the universal interests of all of the industry at heart. Does the, the Tanzanian president have the interests of his mining sector at heart, one wonders? Well, I think it's always a complicated debate. I mean, you could say that he has the interests of his people at heart, and, and that in his view is, is in conflict with the, the interests of the mining companies who he accuses of having um, you know, tax dodging and, and fraud and undervaluing 
um, their exports for many years and, and to the tunes of, of billions of dollars. And he's really come down hard on them. And uh, he has he started with the gold the gold miners, and they have some reached some sort of accommodation. He's now he's now focused on the diamond industry and also the uh, Tanzanite, uh, you know, which as you know is, is fairly specific to Tanzania. And he reckons that only sort of forty percent of production, um, you know, is 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 being well, not only forty percent of production is being lost um, through smuggling and all sorts of. Um, Problem. So he's determined that's his next uh, his next uh, sort of target is and, and he's built a 24 meter wall around all the mines which are um, and, and sort of clustered in one area around uh, Mount Kilimanjaro and this wall was actually he ordered it built in September it's now being inaugurated and it's got one entrance and all sales have to be done within those walls etc. So it's quite an interesting thing I haven't seen that being done anyway. One wonders just how advantageous it's going to be to further mining exploration within Tanzania. Well, of course, I think people have to weigh up, you know, who's next. And some people would say, you know, it's been very hard line, very short time frames to address some of these longstanding issues, etc. And I think it will put investors off. I think it's, it's, it's really a high risk country at the moment for miners. Um, and uh, I, I think uh, it, it might end up backfiring on him and being not in the interest of his people in the long run. But it's, it's always a tough one, this mining story in Africa. Most certainly is. Diana Games, thank you. Chief Executive of Africa at Work, bring us the Africa Business Report this evening. Do you use games in your company? Do you allow your staff to play games? Do you encourage your staff to play games? Do you play games, board games, um, and take those board games into the boardroom? Uh, somebody goes by the name of Sneaky Rusky on uh, Twitter says, I've you implemented gamification in my business. I use snakes and ladders as a performance management tool. It sounds brutal. You can climb the corporate ladder, but land on the head of the snake and you're nowhere. You get taken back to, uh, to square one. Um, if you do use games, and if we're inspired to use games, we'd love to hear from you this evening on 011-883-0702-021-446-0567 because my next guest, we talk about the science of using those board games to enhance your performance in the boardroom. That's all coming up in the next half hour. The Money Show. The Science of... So I love board games. I don't know about you, but more and more as my kids grow up, we're playing more and more board games. Just recently, my nine-year-old wiped the Monopoly board with me. He took him one hour and I was out of the game. He killed me. I had mortgage properties. I'd borrowed money from the bank and he ate me like a million. It was the most comprehensive Monopoly defeat of my life. I've never lost a Monopoly game that that, that quickly and he's very pleased with himself. I'm I'm growing a a vicious little capitalist. I also found recently I'm paying more attention on the chessboard than I previously was with my nine-year-old because he's beginning to think more strategically as he plays the game of chess and that's also very good as well. I couldn't be happier because board games not only are brilliant fun, but they also do teach people to think and think quite aggressively when it comes to playing games. Because games, of course, are about winning. The IQ Business Group Chief Executive Adam Craker on Twitter today when he heard that we were talking about board games in the boardroom saying many of my business skills were developed at a young age playing the board of Mono- on the board of Monopoly Snakes and Ladders and chess, the game of life. And someone who shares that view is Rich Mulholland. He's the founder, the chief executive of a company called Missing Link. It's a business strategy consultancy. And before we talk about the why games are so important, just give me your obsession, because you are obsessed with board games and far more important and evolved games than boring old chess and Monopoly. Although I'm sure they've got a place in, uh, in, your, in, your, in your sort of history of playing games. 
Yeah, so I mean, I obviously grew up playing games. Even as a nine-year-old, I didn't enjoy Monopoly. I didn't think it was a... I, I struggled with the idea of a lack of decisioning. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do differently. And it often reached a frustrating point. But of course, uh, games like Cluedo, uh, when I was growing up in Yahtzee, they were, they were massive for me. No, take me through, this is important, the, the process of decision-making. Monopoly doesn't give you enough choices, enough strategic decision-making opportunities? Okay, so what makes a game fun for me is the if you measured a game on decisions per minute, how many minutes, how many decisions do I get to make for every minute of play? And uh, it's the decision-making that makes it smart and makes it fun. That's, that's the skill that I'm learning. I'm trying to learn at being better at making educated decisions, analyzing information, and deciding what I have to do. Whereas Monopoly for me is relatively deterministic. I roll the dice, I land on a position, and for the most part, if I can afford to buy it, I should. Unless there's some big thing that I'm saving up for later. But my decision is, is relatively uninteresting. And it's often created by the roll of a dice. So a lot of it is the randomness at the beginning that's in, mm-hmm. and then I decide what I want to do at that point. Okay, so chess, I mean, so, so, so Monopoly doesn't do it for you. What was the difference then with Cluedo that did get you, that, that did get you interested? Because Cluedo is the murder mystery game. There's a house, there are nine or 12 rooms, I forget. There's a lead pipe, there's a rope, there's a candlestick, and there's a list of potential suspects. And you have to figure out who did it where and with what weapon. Right. Now, even by today's standards, Cluedo is probably a relatively, well, slightly broken game. It's not as interesting, maybe too reliant on rolling the dice to get to where you have to go. So there's a lot of frustrating elements of luck to the game that that remove uh, the amazingness of the deduction component. So what you're trying to do is get to places, figure Mm -hmm. things out. Was it this? No. Well, then I'll go there. But again, you know, it's the rolling of the dice that gets you there. But it it creates a little bit of a race tension. Uh, You're racing, not racial tension, a race (laughs) tension. Uh, You're racing racing towards some place you're hoping to get good roles to get into the room to pick up information and there's also that feeling that well should i risk it should i go for i'm not sure if it's a candlestick or the knife but i can see that my mum is about to get into the room and she'll be able to make a final does she have all the information i better make a go at it and that i think is pretty cool the the tension mm. created there that that intrigued me from a very young age okay so and then you mentioned another game i've never heard of but you, your gaming has evolved you play far more complex strategic games now and you encourage your colleagues at work and you I think you must force them to to play these various games with you because you have no friends yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you can't get friends, hire them. You know, that, that's, that's the best thing. That's actually why Got I started you. my company. It was, a, it was a great way to get people to like me or at least pretend to like me. Please um, like me. Um, so, so, so tell me about the sort of games that you play because you, the, the gaming element actually helped you reshape the way you, you manage Missing Link. Yeah, for sure. So I realized one of the things uh, quite early on was that if I played games, the way I ran my company, I would never win. Right, so if I if I played games, I, when you when you run a business or when you play a game, you play a game to win. There is a specific condition of victory that you are trying to get to, and if you get there, you win. If you don't, you lose. Whereas actually, I played my business to not lose. Very different space, right? Maybe when I started the company, I was playing to win, but when I when as you evolve, you got too much to lose, so you actually play the game to not lose. So I started trying to demonstrate how we were doing this. And I, I got my team to play a game called Star Realms, which is a, a deck building game, a bit of an engine builder. And, I, and in the game, there's a point at which there's certain resources you have at the beginning that it's actually worthwhile getting rid of because they're, they're just clogging up uh, what you're doing. And you've now got better ways of doing that. And the funny thing is, in my business, what we've done is we'd simply taken the original resource and instead of upgrading it, we just you bought more of them. 
if that made sense. And a logic that was perfect for my team to see in terms of the uh, way that we play a game. So when you've abstracted it out reality completely, you can see, well, this is the obvious thing. Of course, I'd want to do this. But then we measured it back against the game. And I said, okay, well, in this case, designers are, say, uh, scouts and the client service people are vipers. You know, why are we not following the same psychology? And then we we realized that that would be a, a great thing to do. And so we took a key person, Grant, who you know, and we said, well, why don't you, instead of just making more regular decks, why don't we use you to make resources that we can sell over and over and over again? And that's what we did. So we took our best person at working with clients and actually moved them to create products that we could uh, sell more. Mm-hmm. And we built a better business because of it. That's mostly down to Don Packett, the guy who runs that business now, though. Yeah, I mean, but, but the point is you used the real, used gaming, and then you turned the, the, the principles of what you'd learned in playing the game into a practical solution in your company. And you then take this principle and you go and talk to groups of people about it. You've traveled the world and um, teaching people about board games. Do people look at you as if you're strange when you suggest, okay, we're going to play this game and this game is going to teach you how to, to fix your company? So the key is that uh, I would only ever say that to one person. So I have that mm-hmm. conversation with the CEO or the head of strategy beforehand. Mm-hmm. I, think it's fi- I think there's two problems CEOs have is they don't have a defined victory condition and they've not built a better enough game design engine in their business. So once I convince them of this problem, I ask them just to get me a group together. Get me your exco. I want to make them think about your business differently. Get the exco and let's put them in a room. When we start speaking to them, we don't say to them, guys, we're going to play a game that's going to make you think differently about business. What we say is uh, to start today off, we want to get a little bit of creativity going. So what we're going to do is we're going to build a game. We're going to uh, play a game, and I just want to show you that sometimes legacy thinking gets in the way. So you think you hate board games because you played Monopoly and it was frustrating, but now I'm going to show you that just because that wasn't good doesn't mean everything isn't good. So we con them. At the beginning, they think they're playing a board game purely for the fun of playing the game. It's only after we've landed the concept of the game itself that we say, okay, now we're going to use it. So because if I went in telling them we're going to use, I mean, there's nothing more condescending. Hey, you're a banker. Let's show you how to run a bank using Bankopoly. Oh, for goodness sake. (laughs) You know, it's so bad. That's the lowest level of of kind of using games. Let's show a guy how to build a bank by playing a board game about building a bank. It's so fundamentally uninteresting. Whereas let's get a principle across, a new way of let's give you a new lens and prove to you that if this happens, you would always make that decision 10 times over and then show you, but wait a minute, in your business, despite that logic, you're not doing the same thing. That's a problem worth solving. And once they see that, they're in a dissonance. You mentioned something called the victory condition. What is the victory condition? The victory condition, so strategy and business is the path to victory. <laughs> it's what we're going to do in order to get to where we need to go. The victory condition is the condition in which I measure your success or failure. Uh, the victory condition for the Ironman this uh, weekend is finishing the, the right you know, stages at a certain period of time. If you don't finish, you lose. But business struggles with this because the goals are often very far away and victories measure generally in 12 months. So you might have a goal that's a 36-month away goal, you know, this much revenue by 2021. The problem is, how do we know if we're far enough at the end of the year? And also, uh, the victory conditions of business are typically make more money. That's so boring. That should be the end result of the vic- if we achieve victory, then we will make more money, right? Because you want to change the behavior. And generally, the idea of making more money, the victory condition or the path to victory for that is simply sell more 
or you know market better that's not going to change the way of your business so for me a victory condition is the difference between knowing i have to be at the airport by 7 p.m for a flight and uh, knowing that the best way to drive there is on the n1 right if i get a strategy across that is get you know drive the n1 turn right take galulis or whatever we're in joburg then my staff think that's what they have to do then if there's a traffic jam, then what my staff does is they know that we're, what they're supposed to do, so they sit in traffic. <laughs> right? Whereas if I were to turn around then and say, we've got to get here and, and go that way and you know, travel on Galulis and then turn left, and then I tell them, actually, no, should, abort, abort, go past Galulis, uh, go past Nazrek, then they'd think the sky's falling down because they think there's a fundamental problem. But, of course, that's what your GPS does. If you are, if you are too beholden to a strategy, then you're not going to change at the right time. But if you're beholden to a strategic destination, a victory condition, then you can chop and change with fluidity based on what is the best way to get to where I need to be with the information I have today. So, I mean, when it comes to connect, any, connecting the victory condition to board games, what you do is when you open the box of a new game and you order games all the time and you, um, you've probably played, what, hundreds of different board games to try and find the, the ones that work best for you? Yeah, I mean, I've, my personal collection of games is 900 now. Uh, that, <laughs> 900 board games? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know there were that many in the world. There's 900 board games released just at the one event I go to in October for a week. Uh, there'll be, a, I think, 3,000 games released this year. And they're all different, sufficiently different to make them interesting. Sufficiently different. And now the subtlety and nuance is what makes it special. So you really, really like this, but now this one will do what that did to you, but it'll add this to your brain. It's like music. You know, there's, there's categories of music, but the, and to somebody from the outside, they may say, well, that all sounds the same. But once you get into it, the mm-hmm. nuance and the subtleties of the, of the patterns of the game and what makes it magical. But, but, but you go and you go, okay, what is the victory condition? What, what, what must be achieved in order for me to win? And then you go back at the rules. Well, let me ask you this. Because many of us go to the rules are take, right. open the box, um, get the dice out, get, lay the board down, put the cards in these places. We go through in a, in a systematic process and then finally we go, oh, that's the point of the game. You go to the point of the game, which is how to win, and then you figure out the rules right. later. And I think what the mistake business makes is business tells you uh, the rules. Right, these are the rules, and I don't think that's helpful. I think that's unhelpful. Let's take Monopoly. You mentioned you played with your son. If I say to you, okay, the rules are simple. You know, roll the dice, move, buy, whatever. Uh, but if I say to you, okay, well, instead of having, at the end of the game in Monopoly, it's whoever has all the money wins. Yes. Let's say I change that and said, okay, we're going to go around the board just two or three times. At the end of the third time around the board, whoever has the most balanced portfolio of properties would win the game. Not about the money. doesn't matter how much money you have. Do you have the most balanced portfolio? Would you make different decisions? Yes. Right. If I said to you, okay, we'll go around the board two or three times, we'll play a different game. Now it's whoever has the most domination on just one color. Would you make different decisions? Of course you would. Now I prove this across the board. When we run with the Nexco, we're doing a strategy session with the Nexco. I will prove to them that they all say that if I change the victory condition of the game they're playing, they would make different fundamental decisions. Absolutely. Then I say to them, cool, write down the victory condition of your business for the next 12 months. And they look at me blankly. Now, this is a listed entity. Mm. This is the CEO, the head of strategy, a listed group. And I say, write down the victory condition of this business. Now, there's 12 of them in the room. And then I say to them, okay, what is the likelihood of the 12 of you having written down the same thing? I said, guys, you're confusing moving forwards with moving towards. You're all playing a different game, and it just looks like you're playing the same one because you're moving in the same general direction, and that is a flaw. 
wouldn't it be more powerful if every decision you made was based on the same decision of victory? And that's why I think businesses need to think about this stuff. Rich Mulholland is the founder and chief executive of Missing Link. He plays board games for fun, 900 of them. Some of them are useful. We'll talk about one of them and maybe even play a bit of a game in the next minute or two. The Money Show. The Science of... The science of board games, the science of turning those board games into boardroom strategy. We had to play a game. Rich Mulholland, founder and chief executive at Missing Link. What is the game? I'm terrified, by the way, because I don't know what you're about to do. Okay, well, let's play a very basic game. Uh, mm. It's called the Ultimatum Game. Have you heard of it? I haven't heard of it. Okay, we need, to, we need to rope John in, into this as well. John, you're yeah. roped in? You're, so, she's roped let's in. say, let me see, get out some, get out my wallet, the money show. Okay, right. there is a hundred... Ronts. Hundreds of their ronts. It's here. Okay, I'm going to put it on the table. Jean, I'm going to give it to you. Mm. This is your money. This hundred rand is yours. Now, you get a decision to make. You have to decide how much of this you're going to give to Bruce. It's completely at your discretion. Bruce currently has zero rand, and you have a hundred rand. Now, here's the thing. You can give him as much or as little of this money as you want, from one rand to, you know, 99 rand. Uh, But Bruce gets to decide afterward whether or not he's going to accept your deal if he accepts your deal that's perfect Bruce gets however much you've given him you get the rest and away you guys go happy if however Bruce decides that he's not going to accept your deal you both walk away with nothing do you understand the basic rules mm-hmm. okay so of the hundred rand how much are you going to keep and how much are you going to give to Bruce um okay so hmm, I would give Bruce 60 rand. 60 rand. Because he's the talent and I'm just here to help things along. Okay, so she's given me 60 rand. Now, what is the purpose of my accepting the 60 rand? I mean, I, I get the 60 rand, that's fine. And yeah. I get to walk away with 60 bucks. And she gets 40 bucks. And so if I refuse to accept her, 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 her offer, I get nothing. Right. So I would naturally accept um, the offer. Accept the offer. Now, now, what happens now? So, generally speaking, if the person was offered 50 rand or more, Almost 100% of the time, they would would accept accept it because it makes sense. However, let's say I I went to the other extreme and I said, no problem at all. So I've got 100. Technically, you've got nothing and I've got 100 rand. So if I said to you, okay, well, Jean said to you, okay, well, Bruce, I'll give you a rand and I have 99 rand. I got a different decision to make. Well, it's the same decision. I still have nothing. So I take one rand. I mean, why would I not take the one rand? Well, so essentially... Uh, almost 100% of the time, people won't take the rant. Mm. People will say, and incidentally, uh, it is almost never, apparently only 1% of the time in all the tests done in this game will somebody even offer that little. They understand that that's too little. Even though logically, what you said, the Nash equilibrium kind of kicks in here, that, you know, John Nash in the 1950s, the beautiful mind movie, is that theoretically you should just take the rand, you're one rand up, and you should get 99 rand, you should walk away. Actually, what happens is the average generally kicks in at about, about 30 to 50 rand is on offer. And people will still... So Jean is a really good person. Right. Jean is a very good person. Yes, we knew. Yeah. But now, so... Or maybe Jean's just got better uh, ideas around the bigger the bigger game of play here. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a long game as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, mm-hmm. so let's say uh, she was to offer the average, what most people would offer between 30 to 50 rand. Surprisingly, even then, you know, that's only accepted 70% of the time because fairness kicks in. 
So this is a weird thing in business as well. There's a lot of logic, logical decisions that we will sometimes look at and say, well, this is completely and utterly logical. If I'm offering my people a bonus of X, of course they'll take it and they'll do the work because they're getting more than they would have got or gotten. But they don't always because sometimes they'll look at what the business is making, generally speaking, and think that this is unfair. I would rather the business doesn't get anything along with me because there's an unfair thing at play here. Incidentally, one of the interesting things that changes this game is let's say there was me playing against the two of you. And now I said, I have the rant. Now I say to you, I'll tell you what, uh, now both of you get to decide. Now we're going to go into what's called the prisoner's dilemma. So now you guys have to decide you want to cooperate together or you want to kind of stitch up or abort. So now I'll say to you, okay, I've got 100 rand, so I must decide how much am I going to give to you guys. So let's say I say now 20 rand. And I say, okay, well, you guys got 20 rand. Now you both get to decide independently to accept or to, to reject. Now, if you both reject, then you know, nobody gets the money and I don't get the money as well. If you both accept, then one of you will randomly be given the money. However, if one of you accepts and the other rejects, then the player who accepts gets all the money. Gets, gets the full 20. Okay. I mean, we're, we're talking about human dynamics here. Knowing Jean, I kind of figured she would go for at least 50 bucks. I thought she would go 50 50 because she's a very fair and good individual. I would have given her 40 um, yeah. <laughs> because I'm not nice like her. But she went for 60. Um, and, and, and that's a really interesting dynamic as well because she's outside of the norm. She's saying, I want to ensure that I get to keep a piece of this particular pie. I'm willing to give away more than I will retain. Which In is which really case. 51 rand would have been yeah. a perfectly reasonable. I am being more fair to you mm-hmm. than I am, therefore 51. But maybe the sense of fairness and the difference in roles and things like this will, will change things. Now, the funny thing is that if you were to change it, make it a team dynamic like I did there and you had to decide, generally speaking, if I offered 20 rand in the original game one-on-one, uh, 80% of people, sorry, 70% of people would reject it. It's so interesting, though, because then you walk away with nothing. You know that you're going to walk away with nothing. Right, but your sense of fairness is coming in, and you're saying, Mm. and this is why I'm saying these game, and it's not gamification. I don't think you need to have gamification in your business. Your business is already gamified by its very, the very function of what you're trying to do in business has all the elements of mathematics and perfection and players and elements to be a great game. You don't have to gamify it further. You have to understand the game mechanisms and patterns you're playing with. So what you're doing then, when you go into an an exco and you're saying to people, we played this game, why don't you apply the the way you play this game to the way you run your business? You're saying you need to gamify your business. You need to understand the dynamics of the game of your business in order to make it work better. Right, because if you think about it, the CEO's job, a CEO thinks they're trying to win the game. But the CEO isn't trying to win the game. The CEO is trying to create the game. It is the players of the game that will decide if they're winning so one of my favorite games to play with ceos or heads of strategy is a game called jiraku and the idea of the game jiraku is that whoever has the most influence uh and is with the uh emperor at the end of the game wins or with the shogun at the end of the game wins before the shogun dies now this is relatively easy so you want to get people with a lot of reputation to get to the shogun by the end of the game now that's the victory condition of the game but that's not the condition of the game designer the game designer realizes that actually if i if the players rush too quickly to get there to osaka then the game is uninteresting and boring so i've got to create a tension on in the game to make sure that actually it's not just about uh, getting to osaka it's about when do we move to osaka for the most benefit 
And that's what makes this game phenomenal. It's the idea that even though you need to be someplace in three years, maybe you shouldn't be going there now. Maybe you need to be staying where you are. Okay. But, but, but here's the point. You need, as the leader, as the chief executive, to create the environment that gets everybody onto the same page, the same victory condition, the same path. Otherwise, what the hell are you doing? You need to make the game conditions that make the people want to play it that will get them to the... You've got to design the ecosystem or the game system that will get them to behave and to want to behave voluntarily and enjoy it in a way that will help you achieve the victory that you ultimately need. His name is Rich Mulholland. He's the founder and chief executive of a company called Missing Link. He pays board games to create a business. Seriously. That was exhausting. Rich Mulholland was our guest this evening wrapping up The Money Show. From Joburg tomorrow, where we're giving away another return trip to the United States to the GroCo Conference to participants in the 702 leg of the Nedbank Business Accelerator. We'll do that tomorrow. Till then, good night.